Welcome to our Conversations podcast. My name is Scott Galloway, professor of marketing at NYU Stern School of Business and the founder of L2. Today we're here with Mark Mahaney, managing director of RBC Capital. Mark's been covering internet stocks since the late 90s for RBC and is considered and has been named several times by institutional investor as the number one rated analyst covering internet stocks. We're going to be talking about uh, his coverage universe, specifically Fang, Facebook, Amazon, Netflix, and Google. Welcome, Mark. Thanks for joining us. Good to be here. So quickly, anything that we can identify that are the underpinnings of how you become one of these dominant three, four, five hundred billion dollar market cap companies? Have you sussed out any underpinnings common across the four? Yeah, well, it helps to be on the internet because uh, last time I checked, there's a lot of secular growth there. Uh, as we've seen, the uh, size of the internet advertising and retail markets uh, increase 10x over the last 15 years. So it helps to be in that sector. Secondly, uh, although there are you know 100, 200, maybe over 300 internet companies that have kind of come up over the last two decades, probably a little bit more than that, a few, only a few could have really good management teams. You just highlighted four of probably the best management teams in the sector. And then uh, third, they've, uh, there's obviously always an element of luck, and they stumble across things, whether it's Amazon stumbling across Amazon Web Services, Facebook figuring out mobile monetization. Netflix went through a dramatic pivot, if you remember. This was a DVD by mail company yeah. going to a streaming company. So they've had luck, uh, and they've had very good execution against uh, some pretty big pivots in a very large secular space called the Internet. So a couple uh, other things that we've noticed, I'm curious to get your feedback on. A sense of Amazon is that their competence is storytelling. You have this visionary CEO who's able to string together an unbelievable narrative and have access to cheap capital. These, do these guys effectively have salesmen running their companies that are able to just raise more money than the other guy? You know, that's that, uh, that, that critique has been made of Amazon a couple of times that they do get access to a lot of cheap capital. I think um, they got it the first time then, uh, that's in uh, 98, uh, 97 to 99 time frame. Then the markets got pretty tough on Amazon. And if you remember, that stock got beaten down. It was a $6 stock at one point. Um, it was uh, widely perceived to be going out of business. Very hard for them to raise money at that time. So they had to do a lot of cost cutting, had to cut back on a lot of initiatives, uh, mm -hmm. reach profitability, then were able to expand again. So that, 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 there is a perception that they've gotten a pass from Wall Street. I don't think that's quite accurate. At times they have, but at times Wall Street has been probably overly uh, critical of them. Are they good storytellers? Well, shoot. Uh, yeah, Amazon, Jeff Bezos has uh, got a vision uh, of the company. I think it was once described as the everything store. Yeah. Maybe that's right. Maybe that's not. But he certainly has very broad ambition for the company. Everything that consumers want, he wants Amazon to be able to offer. So of the four, the one that's probably the least talked about is Netflix. Uh, the other three are just sort of on the front page of something every day. And it's also your number one pick. Can you tell us a little bit why you like Netflix so much? Yeah, you're right. Uh, Netflix is much smaller in terms of market cap, much more controversial as a stock, not nearly as broad-reaching as uh, Amazon. Google's taking over the world or maybe already has, dominating search the way it has. The issues that have come up with Netflix are there are a lot of entertainment options out there, and they've got a lot of competition from some very well-funded companies like Amazon, HBO's out there. Google is also a competitor with YouTube, so it's just perceived to be a lot more competitive risk. And then the um, this shift that they're going through to uh, streaming is a little less um, entrenched. They have maybe uh, 80 million subscribers worldwide. That's a good number, but there are a billion people who go to Facebook, a billion people who go to 
to Google YouTube on an almost daily basis. So the, it doesn't, it doesn't seem to have the scale advantages of the others. And it seems to have much more dire competitive circumstances. And so why do you like it so much? Well, uh, I think the pitch on Netflix is kind of fivefold. We, we think that there's this dramatic shift towards streaming. There are about a billion paid TV subscribers worldwide and maybe about 100 million streaming subscribers worldwide. We think we're going through a tectonic shift away from traditional TV, mm-hmm. linear TV towards Internet TV, people wanting entertainment whatever time they want, you know, whatever shows they want on whatever device. So there's that secular tectonic shift that I think the financial markets largely underappreciate. Secondly, um, Netflix is far and away the leading provider here. It's got almost 8x as many paid subscribers as any other service worldwide. The number two service would be Hulu. Third, we think they've proven uh, profitability in the U.S. market. Fourth, we think they're showing universal um, appeal. They've gone to 10% household broadband penetration in every international market that they've entered uh, over the last uh, six years. So whether that's across Latin America, the Nordics, Western Europe, et cetera. And then finally, fifth, uh, we think that they've started to show profitability in the toughest markets, their newer international markets. That's kind of the package on Netflix. So they're using someone else's pipes for distribution. They don't own, they don't own their distribution. It feels as if, well, the content's fantastic, that it, that content can be, I don't want to say replicated, but it's not a unique form of content. There are other, you know, Amazon has transparent. There are, you know, show, Showtime has Homeland. What at the end of the day is really their barrier of entry? If someone comes in with more capital and says, all right, kill Netflix, is it the user base? Is it the brand? What, you know, Amazon's building warehouses that are going to be hard to replicate. Um, Apple has their store network. Google's laying fiber. Is there anything in your mind that Netflix has is, is really put their elbows out around? Boy, that's a, it's a tough question, Scott. And it's a, um, it probably highlights that they don't have the competitive moats around their business yep. as much like an Amazon does or Netflix or um, as a Google or a Facebook. But, you know, this is a very expensive uh, business, um, uh, getting, entering into the streaming business. I mean, I may well be right in identifying this huge secular growth tectonic shift. Right. But uh, if anybody wanted to enter into this, you're talking about billions of dollars to enter the business. One, you got to get the licensing rights or you got to, or you got to fund your own, uh, original content. Yeah. So there's a huge amount of hit uh, risk with that. Uh, and then you're going to have to market the the, 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 um, the offering. They spend about five to six billion a year. That's they, Netflix, spends about yeah. five to six billion a year on content. So if you want to compete with Netflix before you can even get a single paid sub, you're going to have to spend money on Hollywood content or wherever else the content is. So it's an expensive table stakes a business to begin with what else do they so they've got a scale advantage also the more subs they have the more revenue they get the more money with which to buy more content which yeah. gets more subs so they're kind of the if they if they do it right it feeds well and then uh, do they have something that's truly unique they're aiming right now it's about 20 percent of their content is original content you can only see it if you go to netflix think right. house of cards orange is the new black Stranger Things, and now some of the newer shows that they're rolling out, like The Crown about uh, Queen Elizabeth, yep. um, the more that they generate original content, yeah, that's exclusive to them. If you want to watch The Sopranos, there's only one place you can go to watch that. You know, Initially, that was uh, HBO. If you want to watch The Crown or Stranger Things or The Get Down, the only place you can go to watch that and the future shows like that is going to be on Netflix. That's the advantage that they're trying to build up over time, and it's a scale cash advantage. So look, Amazon's got the cash. Um, uh, uh, Facebook has the cash. Uh, Google has the cash. Now, Netflix also has the brand. So when you think streaming, you're going to first think Netflix. It's hard to get people to really think about Amazon or Facebook as a place to stream. That can change over time, but that would be an expensive pivot for any company. 
Do you think, do you see the traditional guys being more of a threat or do you think it's Amazon or someone yet to be determined? Who, who, if anybody, if someone had told you, Mark, in five years that Netflix had been cut in half and that there was a new number one in streaming entertainment, who would you bet on as being that, that disruptor to the disruptor? I think, Scott, you mentioned it. I think it'd be Amazon. Yeah. So, you know, they have a large customer base, 300 million plus active customers. They have a great feel for consumers. Google has the cash, has this YouTube asset, but you don't think about Google really as a customer service company. Mm-hmm. That's not really their shtick. Uh, and Facebook, it's just a different user experience. It's where I go to share information with friends, maybe get a little news and information. It's less of an entertainment feel to it. They could change that, but that's these are hard pivots to to take. But Amazon is the one they already are building up more. They're building themselves up more and more as an entertainment platform. That's the one that if Netflix's stock is cut in half, it's Amazon within five years. Is there anybody that could buy Netflix? Right? It seems like Netflix. People were talking about Disney buying. Twitter for a distribution channel. It always struck me that Netflix was a far superior distribution channel for someone like Disney. But now with the run-up in stock, who has – A, do you think Netflix is a potential acquisition target? And who has the balance sheet to do it now? I, I don't think Netflix is an acquisition target. Um, too big. So it's too big. Uh, you know, would the companies – the potential buyers would be – you mentioned two of them, uh, Disney. I throw Amazon in there. Maybe Google – uh, but the, you know, you're talking about 60 billion to buy this asset. You know, the current market cap throwing a premium. That's a lot of change. Yeah. Disney may be the natural one uh, to buy it. So you know, if anything's possible, and if we were to wake up on a Monday morning and find out that Netflix had been bought, you'd say you would have to guess it'd be Disney. But just the size of that um, that acquisition makes it makes it pretty unlikely. Do you think there are any natural companies that Netflix might acquire? This is an unusual one. Netflix has never bought a single company in the last, well, since it was founded 20 years ago. Hmm. It's the only company I've covered that has never bought anybody, which is a little bit odd. You would have thought that they would have at least looked to find a mini Netflix overseas to buy, but they haven't. So, you know, it's part of the corporate culture or Reed Hastings' vision that uh, he can grow it all organically and uh, and that the M&As would be a distraction. So, no, I don't think there are any acquisition targets. That's interesting. I didn't know that. And you brought up culture. Is there anything unique about about the internal workings of Netflix or the kind of people they attract or the gestalt of the company that separates them from some of the other players in the entertainment business or the other the other kind of horsemen? You know, it's hard to know. That's uh, some of the times the corp- corporate culture is hard to pin from mm-hmm. uh, outside the company. They do have a uh, very flexible working environment. There's no vacation policy, for example. Um, you can take as many days off as you want or as few days off as you want. Uh, now, they do, um, I think, have a regular culling of employees. They pay generous severance packages, but they do uh, tend to terminate a decent number of employees. So there are pros and cons to it. It's a Valley Entertainment Company, so Silicon Valley Entertainment Company based in Los Gatos, so it's more coming at entertainment from a technology perspective. Mm -hmm. I think they also apply more... um, They probably have more data scientists amongst their employees than any traditional media company would. Uh, Those people would be looking at all the shows that you and your family are watching and should be able, hopefully, or should be able to figure out what's the most relevant content to put in front of you, given the viewing, given your viewing history. They probably know more about your entertainment interests than anybody else does because they've know, they know which shows you've streamed for how long and what shows went in what order. That's pretty powerful information. Doesn't it also reflect this trend and something we've been talking about, and that is the death of advertising, and that if you look at the model 
of ad-supported media. And at the end of the day, how little money they're actually getting to pound away at you with ads. And Netflix is obviously a key component is ad-free. Doesn't this signal another shift that anyone can afford it is opting out of advertising? Boy, that's a, that's a, that's a big, bold statement. Um, there's a lot of things that, that speak truth to that. Uh, if you look at, um, uh, the internet, the history of internet content over the last 20 years. Mm-hmm. I mean, the biggest trend is one you just pointed out, which is the move away from free content to paywalls, yeah. some sort of subscription models. And by the way, financial people love subscription models because yeah. it's visibility. Recurring if you get a lot of scale, margins yeah. go up, et cetera. But I'll just, just caution you on one point. You know, you've got these two behemoths out there when it comes to consumer entertainment on the internet. That's that pay service, Netflix. And then there's YouTube. I mean, I know they have mm-hmm. YouTube red, but really that's chump change. We're really talking about a huge advertising-driven uh, business that we think, although it's never disclosed, is probably doing $10 billion a year in mm-hmm. revenue. So I, I think both models can coexist. It does seem, though, that uh, you've had a real narrowing of the of the number of ad-run uh, models. Uh, you need dramatic scale in that business. You, you make more gross profit with a subscriber, you know, with a paid subscriber than you do with an ad-supported business. Yeah. So in order to make the ad-supported business work, you better have a lot, a lot, a lot of users. YouTube has that. Very few other people do. A couple of the companies we talked about have all stumbled, or not stumbled, but they've used their incredible reputations and their capital and their technological prowess to go into other sectors that sometimes have been more profitable than the original business they've been in, right? So Amazon, now Amazon Web Services is doing more gross profit than retail, right? Apple, a lot of people didn't think Apple was going to end up in the phone. Do you see any other adjacents or second-order businesses that Netflix has the opportunity to go into? No, I don't. Not with Netflix. I, there's been some um, thought that maybe they could get into li- – they could do a little bit in licensing of content as they develop more uh, original content, but that's going to be chump change. It's going to be very small for them. No, it's uh, – you know, could they go into video games maybe or music? No, I think they're going to keep uh, very focused just on um, uh, entertainment streaming. No, I don't I don't think so. You, you mentioned, by the way, you know, with the shift, as these brands get bigger and bigger, there is the opportunity to – to not pivot, maybe a pivot or maybe just add, layer in more revenue streams. Amazon's got the best revenue mix shift story across all industries, maybe, but certainly across technology. You know, that 10% of their revenue going three times faster than the core business, 5x is profitable. That's AWS versus their retail business. It's just beautiful when that plays out. Uh, that really does, by the way. Mm-hmm. The Amazon advantage has always been that they started with a really low margin core business, so everything else was going to have better margins to it. Google, on the other hand, and Facebook, too, go the other way. Extremely high, pro- highly profitable uh, core businesses. Almost every business they go into after that is, is going to be dilutive to their margins. Mm-hmm. So there's... Um, uh, but, you know, that core business gives them so much cash with which to experiment with different places. It's, it's not a bad problem. Got it. And, Mark, just a little bit about you. You've been an analyst, literally. You've been doing this right out of college. You've been doing this, what, almost 20 uh, years uh, now? 18 years now. 18 years. Got it. And any advice? It feels like your industry, to be blunt, is in structural decline. There just aren't as many analysts. When I started investment banking in 87, being, everyone said being an analyst was the way to go. And now, because of some regulations, it just feels like it's not as, quite frankly, it's just not as good a job. And what advice? You're coming out of business school. Someone's interested in, you know, being an analyst. It's a great combination of sort of academic skills, but also a narrative. It seems like a fantastic job intellectually, but it doesn't seem like it's a growth industry. What would you, what would you say to somebody who's coming out of business school 
and is thinking about an, uh, a job covering covering stocks? Uh, let's see. That's a that's a tough question. It hits home. Uh, as a as a job, it's one that's kind of part management consultant, part stock jockey. Yeah. It's it's kind of like uh, I was in management consulting prior, and uh, what I enjoy about going to Wall Street is it's kind of taking that work and just cycling it up much more quickly. Uh, sometimes to a fault, trying to figure out why a stock is up or down three percent on a day. You know, sometimes that's there's more buyers than sellers. Is sometimes that's a good response to that because uh, it's hard to know why stocks move so quickly sometimes. But I find it. Um, Depending on the sector, I think I'm just lucky uh, in that I cover one of the most dynamic sectors out there. I've watched this industry go from um, Amazon.bomb, uh, you know, the idea mm-hmm. that the, these uh, the huge amount of skepticism facing some of these companies. Who knew how big, how good, how big the internet would be? Who knew how good some of these companies could be? And just uh, watching these companies grow. And now it's the three of the you know eight largest market cap names in the world are Amazon, Facebook, and Google. And just watching that, you know, over time and trying to stay ahead of it. To me, that's been one of the most uh, intellectually interesting things one could have done, at least from my perspective, over the last. Uh, uh, two decades. If you, you know, if you like analytical work, uh, and if you like communicating your results, you know, if you, mm-hmm. the written word and, uh, meetings in, with investors and, uh, meeting some of these companies, I think it's a great, I think it's a, it's a wonderful career. Good. Well, I think in this instance, it's, it's been better to be good than lucky. Mark Mahaney, managing director, RBC Capital, the number one rated internet analyst. Mark, we appreciate your time this morning. Thanks, Scott. That's it for us. Brett Murphy is our engineer. Our producer is Zach Dinerstein, and Catherine Dillon is L2's creative director. Please subscribe to the show, and if you like what you've heard, go to iTunes and leave us a comment or review. It's a great way for new listeners to find us. Thanks for listening, and we'll speak to you soon.